Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. We're back. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials. All right. We're in the presence of a Gen Z gentleman who's made a name for himself as the founder of a booming Midwest marketing agency with a creative edge and some top-notch clients. Get ready to take some notes. Welcome to the mic, our friend, Jake Bajorseth, founder of Trendsetters in Kansas City, Missouri. Jake, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure joining. It's always an interesting conversation bringing Gen Z and millennials to the table. <laughs> uh, we certainly see eye to eye on, on a few things, but also have some differences. So happy and eager to uh, share what those look like. Yes, we're excited to pick your brain. Cool. We want to just kick it off just like why, why starting a marketing agency? Like what got you into that? Yeah, so I would say I was always interested in the business entrepreneurship realm. Marketing in particular, I, I, I didn't have like a fascination with. There's a lot of people that, that have a fascination with like advertising, marketing, all these different things. And I, I really get that to learn. I've definitely picked up on it. But it was more so from a business perspective. And what I saw as I was studying like entrepreneurship starting in high school and I'm doing kind of my own things here and there, the key driver in, in, in all those was the marketing. And, and, and soon kind of what I learned is if I can figure out how to get customers and how to get consumers and how to get clients, then... You know, what I do on the back end ultimately can't happen unless I can do that on the front end. You know, the the best, like what separates a, a Coca-Cola from Pepsi from a Dr. Pepper, the, you know, there's very little differences. It's just a matter of, of marketing. And so as I kind of discovered that, I got really interested in, in my future and where I wanted to go. And I saw media and marketing as the, the best market to enter. So, so I kind of went full steam ahead in there and, and we were initially just a Snapchat agency where, which sounds crazy to say now, cause like most everything we're doing is like on TikTok or some way incorporating it. So I've, I've kind of changed allegiances a little bit, but we, we were just uh, a group of guys with a lot of followers on Snapchat and would run like promotional ads. And, and then I found myself consulting a uh, noodles and company of all brands and their corporate marketing team. And, and quickly I realized, wait a second. There's probably an opportunity here more than what I'm doing right now. So I discovered the space a little more, then went full steam ahead. And I'm so thrilled to be in the marketing space when I'm in it and how everything's happening. And, and, and really, from my perspective, at the precipice of marketing and culture really continuing to come together. And I can't wait to see how that scales out over the next decade. It's definitely fun to be at the pulse of kind of what's going on in our world and getting a chance to kind of speak to it, especially extending past kind of a personal standpoint and really extending it to like, you know, a group of, you know, employees and kind of a mission and an overall statement. It takes me to how did you know that your like desire to kind of enter this marketing industry was more than just like a personal brand that it really extended into your own like company? Yeah, that's a great question, especially in the marketing media space where I think we see mm-hmm. time and time again, it's often companies led by personal brands, solopreneurs with some VAs, you know, behind them or a few employees. And, you know, while, while certainly I prioritize my personal brand, there, there's been a clear shift 
you know, w- within our company f- from its origins of, of now being so focused on our brand of which we, we haven't done a lot of talking externally yet. We, you know, we, we we've kind of fallen these cyclical phases of, of you got to get through, through those steps. So for me, what, what I quickly realized was, was my interest where, where they were aligned. I was not interested in, in using media marketing as an outlet to, to make money. I wasn't interested in using it as a means of propelling my personal brand. So what I could, you know, get more clout or, or whatever it is at a younger age, like, no, you know, no one really cares. And, and it doesn't mean anything 10, even five years from now. Right. So, so for me, it was more so setting out with the goal to empower other young, ambitious trendsetters, as we call them. And, and obviously our, our agency's model after that. So young individuals who, who see potential, they understand consumers, they understand technology, at least kind of the core of marketing, but they just don't have an outlet to, to, to use that. And instead, they're wasting their time in a classroom or going through uh, a program or working a job that just doesn't fit them. And we want to be that that model that, that gives them an opportunity to do something differently. And most important, to focus on what they can be the best at. Because when you are a member of Gen Z, you inherently have an advantage when it comes to reaching Gen Z. But Outside of that, there's not a whole lot of arenas where you're going to have an inherent advantage. When you think about finance, tax, law, you know, medicine, like those are all things that, that they just literally take decades of experience to have. But when you look at like who's the best person to talk to on TikTok, you know, I, I have conversations with 55 year old CMOs of Fortune 500 brands, and then I have conversations with our head of social media who didn't even you know know marketing necessarily before working with us, but she was an influencer herself, mm-hmm. and she you know she could run circles around them. So that's kind of my, my my vision has always been about building building the company, building people around it, and just using my personal brand as kind of a, a tool to get there, not necessarily the goal. Nice. So did you start off like because you start off that Snapchat see, and then you quickly realize like probably Gen Z is a better route to go because you can kind of broaden like what channels you're going to like end up on because obviously Snapchat is for at least like millennials are not like the biggest channel. So like I bet like now, like not all these agencies that are like on one platform that are just like, I'm super good at LinkedIn and if LinkedIn dies, the, the company dies. So is that what made the pivot or like to Gen Z or were you always Gen Z focused? Yeah, I mean, we, we were certainly always like Gen Z focused. We just didn't have a competitive advantage there. And we and we didn't really know necessarily all those other platforms as well. And so it was just kind of like, I, I didn't really think about it. I just went into it. And, and so that's what we were. But we definitely made a distinct pivot of, of focusing on Gen Z, which I think is important from, from differentiating away from like a, a social media company or digital marketing agency, because it takes on a much bigger approach. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about you know, really innovating brands to reach an entire consumer set. And what it's really about, it's not even about, you know, innovating brands and products and our marketing to meet Gen Z. It's about maintaining brand growth for the future. Or in, or in the case of some brands whose stock is down 10, 20, 30% this year with COVID and it's going to continue to head in that direction, it's to stay alive. And so for us, we see it as Gen Z is an incredible opportunity we saw what happened with millennials and all the brands that they they quote unquote killed off as if the, those brands didn't didn't you know see the writing on the wall. So you know for us it, it's it's really just it, it's really just been our inherent focus on Gen Z that's so much bigger than the social media platforms, the content, the influencers, 
even TikTok, you know, it's a good outlet, but that's not the only answer. And so a lot of our scope for clientele now it is in the realm of brand positioning, of brand messaging, of what is our brand purpose, of how do we reposition our brand? What does product innovation look like? What categories can we jump into? What are great brand collaborations? So it's taken on a, a you know a more and more of a full Gen Z scope. And it's mm-hmm. a, really a fun process to do so because you know, we, we put our flag in the ground and said, we want to be the best at Gen Z. And I don't care what that entails. If social media goes away way tomorrow and Gen Z starts writing letters back and forth to each other, and that's our new form of communication. Well, damn it, I'm going to become the best at writing letters and that form of marketing. So I'll go wherever Gen Z goes because I, I got the pulse on it. And that, that happens to be kind of where our network is. I love that. I think it's important to think beyond channels. I mean, just like every trend, channels are a trend, essentially. They have an expiration. And if you're cultivating essentially a generation, like you're going to stick with them at every point that they're searching for whatever is in the market. That's amazing. So you've kind of answered a question, but I'm curious, like, what's your guys' thought on like something current, like reels? Do you have any interest in like, not necessarily pivoting, but extending over to there? Does it make sense for your kind of, I guess, organizational strategy? Like what, what, what surpasses something like TikTok? Where are you guys looking to the future? Yeah. So our philosophy when it comes to our strategy of campaigns, particularly when we look at the distribution of content, mm-hmm. is, is very much uh, an approach of, of meet consumers wherever they are. And it doesn't matter where they are. And it's kind of about meeting them in those arenas and, and, and and figuring out the best process to do so. So, you know, something along the lines of like a Gary D content pyramid model that, that, that has kind of been really infamous in the personal brand space, but really plays out well for brands too. When you think about being able to utilize what, what is really expensive, which is the creative piece and takes weeks. I mean, you know, being in conversations with these larger brands where you got to go through so much approval process just for, one creative, which is may only get, you know, 100,000 views. What is that actually going to do for brand attribution? So kind of with that in mind, that that's kind of our approach. And we've, we've really designed our organization to, to have agility at that bottom level because of how we structure what we do kind of at the creative level. And so for us as new channels like Reels and, uh, and, and like Byte and like Triller and like Clash and, and so on, as these, these come up, we dive into there at a personal and consumer level. We test a few kind of brand engagements there. We see how things hit and we mm-hmm. kind of use it as if it, if it continues to grow and take off, you know, we'll go full force there. But if it doesn't, then then we'll quickly hop off and jump onto the next one. So nice. you know, we're not really religious about these are the platforms we have to live on. And ultimately, social media, there's there's no magic or secret to it. It's just like, do you understand the consumers on that platform? And do you understand the rules of that platform and how it works? And if you do, you know, you just have to have an incredible understanding of that. And then that's going to take you to where you want to go. And it's crazy to me to think about because I think I see this a lot with bigger brands. And this is why your agency exists. But how they don't think about like in five to 10 years, these will be your buyers. Like even if they're not your buyers right now, like five to 10 years. And especially in the B2B space, which is always yeah. in this. Like I always say to like people like, Okay, even if people aren't buying from TikTok right now, like these people could be your buyers in 10 years right now. So like yeah. why not like start building that brand? If you wouldn't do that, that means you think your brand's not going to be around for 5 to 10 years. So why yeah. not start doing it? 
Gen Z will be the biggest spenders by 2026. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Wait till then? Yeah. I mean, a definitive strategy of ours has actually been connecting with about 24 to 30-year-old marketers who are at large corporations or agencies, uh, connecting with them on LinkedIn throughout our entire team, just keeping tabs on them because who's going to be the marketing managers, social media managers, VPs in five to 10 years from now, it's going to be them. And, and I still plan mm-hmm. on doing things you know, within the media advertising space. We'll see if that shifts away from Gen Z, which it likely will. Uh, take, taking on a larger, uh, you know, larger approach, but you know that's a, that's a strategy we've definitely defined. And and the whole B two B versus like B two C conversation. And Daniel, I've seen you talk about this a lot in the past. Is it's such a uh, mind boggling conversation for just the lack of like awareness that that is there. Because at the end of the day, it is still a person that is making a buying decision. And people, and I, and I had Robin Daniels on our podcast, actually, and he spoke about this, former CMO of WeWork, now with Matterport. He, he mentioned people buy with emotion first and logic second. And that doesn't matter if you're selling sparkling water for $2 or if you're selling, you know, security equipment for, for $250,000 or a private jet for, for I don't know how much that money, you know. So, you know, when he kind of explained that, I think that's the philosophy for, for B2B companies that, that needs to be taken on of, you know, we, we, we can definitively, I can, I, I can confidently say that we have had clients before at larger organizations that the only reason we've won those clients is because they just liked us. Like, hands down. You know, we definitely have a competitive advantage. We definitely have differentiation. We have a good model and it works. But those things weren't discovered until later. But that intro meeting, why they bring us in... It wasn't because, you know, they did their research on all the Gen Z agencies. No way, you know, or, or all the agencies in the world, right? It was just because they, they vibe with us. And, and, and so I think that's important for B2B to understand as well. Yeah, it absolutely frustrates me that at the end of the day, people can't see that we're selling to people. It's one of the most annoying things about B2B that I just don't get that. And I think that's what's going to leave a lot of B2B companies behind just because they don't think of people. And especially now, like in the B2C world, this always was the case that there was all of these choices. B2B was like very slow with choices, right? And now like it's getting to the point where B2B has a bunch of choices. Like, yeah, I can go like you look at like MarTech right now, there's like 10,000 MarTech. The only way people are separating themselves like gongs and stuff like that is brand. And that's what ultimately why people pick is because they like and trust the brand right now. But shifting gears a little bit, what is, do you think is the biggest thing for like marketers to understand about Gen Z that they don't right now? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, what I always lead with in terms of that particular question is that Gen Z is oftentimes paradoxical. It's, it's important for me to note that because we can't make decisions based on headlines. We can't make decisions based on one or two data points. We can't make decisions that are at a large scale when they have nothing to do with our brands. And that's where I see time and time again, and, and particularly from, from brands that make assumptions about Generation Z at large. They make assumptions about their perspective of their brand based on their own perception of their brand, right? And, and then they make marketing decisions accordingly. And, and then when they don't work, they, you know, they act surprised. Well, what we have to understand is that a Gen Z as a whole is is the most diverse generation yet, at least in the United States, of course. And and so with that in mind, it's not just diversity of of race. It's also diversity of a lot of different things. That is subcultures that have been created consistently, more subcultures than ever before, because we now have digital online communities 
to connect with them. And with the whole world on lockdown during COVID-19, if I don't, if I don't like anyone else in Kansas city, if I, you know, I just don't like anyone else in the entire city, I can still have a million friends online that I can go play video games with at night. And maybe I'm into some weird, sketchy video game that no one ever's heard of. There's only 50 people in the world that have it. Well, guess what? I can build a community and connect with them of which, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it would have been very difficult to do that. It's a little bit less common. So that's definitely played out those, those subcultures. And, and so when, when it comes to brands, I think a lot of times they, they misunderstand that, that, that Gen Z is in fact paradoxical. And so to both can coexist, you know, they can be, they can be super activists and, and, and quote unquote, like socially very liberal and, and, and engaging conversations online, but they can also be very conservative when it comes to, you know, economics and finance. Both of the, those things are true. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're right or left or this, that, and the other. It just, it, it just is what it is. And, and we have to make decisions accordingly. And so that's kind of my, my number one piece of advice for brands. Some interesting thing, some interesting things that we're seeing with Gen Z is their, uh, tendency on, on the finance spectrum to be saving earlier, to be, you know, getting into side hustles and things of that nature earlier, to be starting careers a little bit earlier and to seek career aspirations at a sooner point than, than even millennials did, of which millennials were the generation that's like, Hey, I'm 25. Can I be a, a VP now? Like give me a six figure salary. Right. So it's been interesting to see what's happening in the career world and the finance world. Now we'll really start to see what happens you know, post COVID, post Black Lives Matter, post this election, I think what we see next year and beyond is, is likely a, a greater conversation around the sustainability movement, if I had to project, and the the, the pressure that's going to be put on brands. Because now there's just too many options and alternatives. Like, you know, before I couldn't order a some sort of sparkling seltzer or canned beverage that, that was sustainably led, and, and now I have the option to do so. So... I was just going to say, do you think it will go even beyond that? Because I feel like the sustainable sustainability movement has been around for a while and it's kind of sort of in demand to the point, like, what are you doing with this money that we're giving you? Like, who are you as a brand? I almost feel like the transparency of the brand is becoming even more to the forefront. Yeah. And, and what we've seen is, is, is an interesting trend on social in particular, which is brand personification. And you see this best with, with a brand like a Wendy's or Chipotle a little bit. But brands really starting to cultivate a voice of their own and and be heard and go beyond. Like, uh, and, and one of my favorite, a recent tweet from like Bud Light, he tweeted, you think you can hurt me? I'm the brand manager for like Bud Light or something of that nature. And he responded and he's like, or he's like, I, I manage a Twitter account for a big, you know, beverage company. And he responds and he's like, sorry, that meant to, meant to go for my personal. Like, we're seeing really interesting things in the brand, brand, brand spectrum of things when it comes to social media. But I think in particular, when it comes to Gen Z and sustainability and transparency, I think what we'll see is just a greater need for demand. What, what sucks is that the technology clearly exists. I, I've come across startup companies that, that are able to showcase exactly from where product goes from, from being manufactured to you know, bottled up or packaged to shipped and the, the entire greenhouse that, that goes on the way. And then, you know, one brand that I'm working with right now, Impact Snacks, just advising them is literally able to track that. And then they will go plant trees to offset that, like a, a specific number of trees or, or half trees or whatever it is. So now I think it's just a matter of brands being able to communicate that transparency and it, it, it coming in the right direction. And what, what transparency and authenticity and sustainability favor is small, agile startups that can do so 
And what it doesn't favor is large corporations that frankly, you know, have horrid things going on, you know, that don't want to be exposed. So it's going to create some real tests, some real problems, but I am all for it and I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> That's awesome. It's actually kind of funny because you said that because like, I think Patagonia started this a long time ago when they like, they, the, the, the CEO in his book basically said, the brands today aren't like the Marlboro man. Like they're actually like real humans and Patagonia shows that and everything. It's like real customers, like all over their site. I think like that's where marketing and branding's moving is more human. Like Glossier does it. Like all these top brands are starting to move that way. And you, your, your company does that. Your company does it well with like making your employees like the face of the company, like showing like, oh, yeah. the voice of that, which I think is like, the new movement that has been around forever, but nobody's really like, now it's becoming more prevalent than ever. Um, mm-hmm. This is the face of the brand. Definitely. Yeah. Brand personification is, it's going to be huge. And I think it's going to only continue to happen. You know, something that, that I do and advise that, you know, oddly enough, at like the fortune 500 level, I was literally telling one of the largest consumer brands, frankly, like in the world, I was like, your CEO needs to be in this video we need to come film and he needs to talk directly to the, to the video and we'll make it look like he's filming a selfie video. Now, of course, I said no, but we're really pushing the envelope for this because if, if I was in the C-suite of a large organization, my job should 100% be to, to, to simply be the coolest, most likable person I can be. It, it needs to be much more politician in terms of you know what you do, go out, kiss babies, be on cameras, go talk to people, and a lot less back office. I sit up in my corporate corner office overlooking the entire city, and no one ever sees me outside of me doing something horribly wrong, which, of course, is the fear of these brands. But we've seen it go really well, and mm-hmm. we've seen it obviously go, go horribly wrong, but, but only after the fact. And I think you know if we can make a, a pivotal shift of of being able to personify brands across the board, then it kind of gets rid of that fear because the reason why you don't personify the brand is what happens in the case of, of Subway and then of Papa John's where the face of your company is now in, in major hot you know stuff and, and you're to blame. But if the face of your company is not one individual, then, then that problem doesn't exist. And if there's new individuals all the time, it's no different than, you know, almost like a, like a, like a TV show with multiple characters, you know, don't just have one face, have the multiple characters, multiple conversations, they change, they leave, you replace them, so on. So I would love to see that for the future. And, and I think we're moving closer to it, but it'll take some time. And, and as millennials, I think get into the C-suite more. I think that's when we'll see it most like the, the camera native millennials. Yeah. It's so hard to convince non millennials or Gen Z people in power. I've been dealing with this of how to put themselves out there or how to allow for that kind of visibility to play into your marketing strategy. I have been trying to convince our, like a CEO that we work with Mm -hmm. to step into kind of the limelight. Like he knows a lot of people and just to have a candid, like you're talking to your friend conversation and I think that there's such a fear for how they'll be received and it won't be received for what it is that they can't get over that line. And so it's interesting because for this one in particular, they don't want anybody to be personified. So like they'll tap influencers and that's kind of their brand extension. They're not really trying to like bring it in house, which is crazy. I don't know. I agree with you though. I think that in 
once more millennials start to take over those C-suite positions, there will definitely be that internal shift, we hope. I was going to ask you a question about working with kind of bigger Fortune 500 brands. Like, what is the biggest, I don't know, like lesson you've learned? Maybe like from something wonderful, successful, project-based, something bad. What'd you, what'd you fuck up? Like, seriously, I want to know. Anything or maybe you're perfect. Who knows? No, <laughs> far, far from that. No, I mean, probably what I've learned most is that working with brands with a large team and that understand marketing to an extreme level makes the makes the, our job as an agency a lot easier. So I can definitively say like the large brands we work with are so, like not only are they my favorite clients because I can mention them in a sentence and people know who they are, but they, they also just understand it. And, and it's not to say that, that smaller clients don't, but they see probably the bigger picture. There's a team with all of their unique kind of strategies and insights. And so personally, I, I didn't think it would be, I don't want to say that, that easy because it is quite difficult and there's so many new added steps. I, I thought it'd be a process where you'd have to be like selling every second and everything buttoned up to a T. And what I've realized is, is actually the, the opposite is, is true. There's just so much going on with firms of that size that there's almost less of, of the buttoned up, you know, ness when it, when it comes to like the, the flow of the work and they just understand it. So, so there's a little bit less selling. Like it's, it's, it's more of a simple conversation and discussion and you can actually think, think through things. Now, I would say in terms of a learning lesson from something we've definitely done poorly, I'd say number one, not not like starting to connect with and work with larger brands sooner. I just didn't think we were ready uh, until, of course, we did it. And then I realized we've always been ready and I just need to you know suck it up and do it. And then I think the other thing is, um, is, is not pushing, probably not pushing like our vision for the future enough. And, and I think this is something we still struggle with. I, I think this starts with with me as kind of the founder of the organization. Is I have a very clear vision for what what we're really helping companies with, which which I really mentioned earlier. It, this is so much more than Gen Z. This is about like building up your brand for the future and and doing so in a very strategic way, of which very few brands are actually doing that in a strategic way outside of a few reports every year. So. I would say not 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 necessarily uh, speaking through that vision enough, almost like selling ourselves a little bit short. Not not from like a revenue driving perspective or anything of that nature, but more so just like the vision and the strategy. And that's something that that I definitely have had a gut check with myself recently, and I'm, I'm continuing to work on. Cool. What do you think is like the most surprising thing working with like bigger CMOs? Because I th- feel like it's so much easier to have a conversation with like a startup CMO than it is to like reach out to the CMO of McDonald's, for example, like it's a different conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's a little more difficult because of what I would say is like the strategy and insights and data that has to be there before a conversation can even exist. And so the, the prep work into the conversation, how careful you have to be with every word, how it's, you know, whether it's in a deck or a conversation, an email, every word has a different unique meaning in that structure. So it's it's only just a little bit more like when it comes to that conversation, you just, you can't float something. It's got to be, this is it, black and white. This is the answer. Here's the data. Here's the insights. And it's not necessarily like solving, you know, the whole world with problems because it, it is, it could just be creating thoughts and, and provoking ideas. But 
it's one of those things where, where you know, startups, you know, conversation with that, it's, it's a little bit more loose and they just get it. And it's not to say that CMOs at a large level don't, but they're like, yo, I got, I, I got a company with X, you know, million dollar marketing budget. I don't make decisions on, on stuff like this without 130% confidence in its success. And so it's just a, a little bit more intense in terms of the conversations, but it's something I actually enjoy because then it, 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 it makes sure no matter what we do, that is the definitive best route of, of taking, not necessarily just a strategy that like we're pretty confident in. It's like, I, yo, I, I know this shit. I will put this in the Bible. Like this is, you know, whatever. <laughs> I love that. I got to ask, you don't necessarily have to go into detail, but what kind of projects are you guys working on? Like that you can kind of sprinkle a little details. We're curious, like what, what is piquing your guys's curiosity right now? What are some like trends or things you're obsessed with, obsessed with? Hell, I'm curious. You know, something we're looking at right now is with Gen Z going back to school in particular, how that's changing a lot of the data and metrics we've, we've had previously and how that's going to change things for brand engagements there, what that looks like. And then like what we can do marketing wise, that's, that's unique to that. Right now, obviously spending a lot of time on the TikTok platform with client executions. We, we haven't really slowed down in terms of executions. If not, you know, we've added more clients on TikTok in the past few months than, than ever. So with the acquisition likely taking place, you know, with Microsoft or, or with, you know, election with Biden potentially winning and then it, the whole kind of banning thing just go, gets pulled off the table. There's just a lot of question marks right now. And so we're kind of building di- di- like diversification plans on that platform and then almost like modeling scenarios of what happens if, you know, in all those certain scenarios and, and how we can prepare for that. Smart. And we're thinking a lot about the upcoming election and where consumer sentiment is going to be before and after that. And then also modeling of like, you know, if, if Trump wins again, if Biden wins, what are the differences in the world post that? What is consumer sentiment? How does that affect holiday shopping? How does that affect our brand engagements? And then I said the last thing we're thinking about is we're really looking at some of these rising categories and how existing incumbent brands can tap into those. So I had a conversation today with someone on the brand team from HelloFresh, and they're number one in that category, continuing to grow like crazy. So what do you do if you're a grocery, you know, what do you what do you do if you're a grocery chain? Or what do you do if you're a re, like a, a retail CPG brand inside of a grocery chain? of which now the majority of that particular category might be purchased online. So we're trying to map those trends, not only to support our existing clients, but also to support new ones that they onboard and then create conversations with new ones as well. So, so Daniel, I got, I got Philip plenty busy on the growth side of things. Dude's calendar is swamped, but <laughs> it's all right. It's all going in a positive direction. Data is key. Good for you guys. I, I'm an absolute nerd for data. So <laughs> I'm really interested about, because you, you're building trendsetters as like a community and you're building it as a company as well. Like how, what are you, how are you ba- balancing that? Cause I know you're coming out with like a new Gen Z talks that I saw online and like how are you balancing like building this Gen Z trendsetter community and building like this agency? Cause they're like two different things at the same time, but yeah, it is one thing at the same time as well. So. Yeah, it's it's certainly difficult to add to my play a little bit more, but honestly, I, I kind of need to have both or I'll go go crazy. I can't just do one. But, you know, to me, the, it, it's all kind of one and the same. And, and so the way I see it is, you know, building up a Gen Z community. I mean, 
it's difficult alone with the fact that our oldest employee we have on our team is 26 years old. And so, you know, that, that alone, you take in the volatility of like the average 20 year old, 20 something. And then you, you factor in like, you know, just the agency space is already traditionally chaos. And now we have a lot, bunch of 20 year olds running around with like the newest trends and technology and, and equipment and data. So it, you know, on its own, it would create some incredible problems, but pair that with the fact that we're so wanting to be community driven that, you know, we're, we're, you know, pre COVID throwing a lot of parties and stuff, still trying to do stuff here and there, doing events, doing content, building up our own brand, throwing, you know, having our podcast going, having a, a live Gen Z show every month that's going to be happening. Haven't promoted, promoted that yet, but I think that goes out like tomorrow. So just, just a lot of stuff in that arena, but, but really, the, the reason we're able to do that is because the answer is like, why are we, why is our brand doing what we're doing? And it, at the end of the day, we're doing what we're doing to serve Generation Z. Because when we work with brands, we are able to innovate with them, innovate their products, innovate their brand, innovate their marketing in a way where now they can better engage Gen Z consumers. That creates a better you know, market for Gen Z. It, it requires them to create new products that are better, healthier, more sustainable, and more Gen Z friendly, you know, products and services. And so, you know, just the question is, how do we best serve Gen Z? And whatever the answers are, we'll go out and do those. That's awesome. And w- one thing I was also wondering, because I, I wrote <laughs> post kind of this today, but like, is what do you tell like younger people that want to like start side hustles and stuff like that? Because it's like one of the things that like, I kind of regret that I didn't do like, my 20s which is like keep building my side hustles up i started doing it a little later but i wish i did that so what what is some advice you tell like younger gen z people who want to start side hustles right now i put myself in their shoes so what i would do right now if i was 21 about to be a senior finishing up at ku oddly enough starting marketing studying marketing entrepreneurship so we're worked out well thus far what I would do, and I've said this to my buddies, and, and I don't think any of them have done it. At least I haven't seen them like rolling around in, in brand new cars or anything. I would have taken three, two, I, would ta- I, w- I would have taken on two to three jobs that are close to full time or, or maybe commission or something of that nature. I would take on two to three because everything's virtual and because it's digital. And I would hire a team out of another country, a bunch of VAs to be able to do that work and do 80, 90% of my job or something of that nature. Whether I'm in like a commission role or, you know, I just figure out what to do with reporting, but I would literally take on as many jobs as I can to have like that revenue. And, and then, you know, maybe I start kind of my side hustle over here. But if I were to do it, I'd be focused strictly on just like what is like cash businesses I can get into as, as like a priority number one. And then once I knew the direction I want to go, then I would think about like what are side, side hustles within a podcast or a show or building up my personal brand that I can create. But I, I wouldn't want to create that until I knew like what I wanted to do. So I wouldn't want to just, you know, have a, a, a direction and, and not know or have kind of an outlet, but not know like what direction I would want to go with. But that is something that, that I would have done personally, or at least try to do because it would have been probably really difficult, but I would try to take on, you know, two or three jobs or, you know, two jobs working 30 hours a week each. And then like a little side hustle on Saturday, Sunday, like, I would have just stacked my plate up with everything happening right now and gone crazy and, and do side hustles and whatever, because there has been no better time to do that. You pair the internet 
with the opportunities that exist in the market, with the fact that we have a global pandemic that limits what we can do physically in the world, there's less going on now than ever before. So there's never going to be a time, assuming there's not a pandemic in the next 50 years, right, or 100 years, you know, there's never going to be a better time to go out and do something of that nature. And so ultimately, if you're not doing that, you are missing out on a major opportunity. I can't wait to see the success stories of, of the kids out there right now that are doing it. What happens if these younger kids kind of listening don't quite know what their passion is? Like, how, how did you find your passion? Like, did you just keep at being creative until something stuck? My approach to this, this passion conversation is, is interesting because I, I don't think you necessarily have to be passionate about something to go all in on it. And I think your passions can, can lie outside of that. For, for, for myself and I, I am, you know, wildly emotionally connected with and passionate about, you know, marketing and entrepreneurship and business growth. But I, I'm also, you know, even more passionate about other things that, that I rarely talk about or have conversations about within like the, the, the kind of health space and evolution there and biohacking and, and all these things that, that I rarely, you know, discuss. So I think for people, what, what they should really think about is before the, the question of passions, because really it's such a vague, you know, it's such a vague question. And when you really don't know yourself, which if you haven't really been battle tested, there's no way of knowing who you are. There, you know, there, until you, in, in my case, drop out of school with no money at all, spend the $500 I have in my bank account to get an office space just to cover that one month of rent. And then, you know, to kind of scrap my business together and then spend the next year living in a complete disgusting apartment in Westport. My literally my 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 roommate in that apartment that that was cut me a deal on it was probably a drug dealer. The place <laughs> it was awful. You know, I would work 12 hours a day, do all those different things. And so, you know, then I really discovered who I am and I've continued to do that. You know, who I am today is not going to be who I am tomorrow and so on. And I'm sure conversations I say a year from now are going to be completely different. So I would say for people before asking, like, what are you passionate about? I would say like, what matters to you first and foremost? What's your priority list there? And then the second question I'd ask, which I think is even more important is like, what are your strengths? What are you inherently better at other people at? And how can you lean in on those? Because I don't think enough people are focusing on their strengths and what they're best at. And I think too many people are saying, I'm passionate about cookies. So I'm going to start a cookie business to sell cookies. But if you don't have strengths within the arena of being able to sell, make, nor build a business around cookies, you just enjoy the taste of cookies, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit different. You know, it's a lot of people that are like, I am very passionate about helping out you know, people in need and, and I'm going to help people. I'm going to help homeless people. Okay. Well, that's awesome. But like, are you going to walk around all day and like hand stuff out to like homeless people? I don't, I don't really see the, the scalable solution there or the long-term plan. So that's, that's always my, my question. And, and I get, I get a lot of DMs like on Instagram and TikTok and LinkedIn about that. And that is my 100% like genuine response because it's, it's really nice of me to, to, to say, Oh, you know, what are you passionate about? Like, find your passion, go for it. But, you know, the realist in me is like, don't do something stupid. Like, these are your years to, you can certainly risk everything. You can mess up. But if your plan, if you can't break down your plan on a whiteboard 
and in a document and show us like how this works and puts together and why you're the best at it, then, you know, going into it and just having an emotional connection and assuming it'll work itself out is just a a poor idea. And you're going to be fine. Like it's, you know, the world's not going to end by any means, but you're going to miss out on a big opportunity. I love that. What are you better at than other people? Find it. That's a good one. That's a good one. So I, you know, I would say our, our agency is the best in the world at, at understanding Gen Z and then being able to, to, to actually reach them. There's a lot of Gen Z consulting firms, insights firms, and a lot of great marketing agencies. But, but what we do that, that no one else does nearly as effective nor well, nor at the scale that we do is we design strategy reach Gen Z and then we go reach them. And then myself, I, I'm just the kind of visionary and leader behind it. And that's pretty much it. Like I, I suck at pretty much everything when it comes to oh. showing up on time. My diet's getting out of whack. There's like a cake sitting over there. And like <laughs> it's getting out of control. <laughs> so no, I mean, myself, I know a little bit about marketing. I, I try to stay versed in it. But in all honesty, it's my job to just set the vision, lead the team, and just hire people that are like really smart and really good at what they do. And then I just get out of the way. So that's, yeah, that, that's pretty much our company and myself. Absolutely love that. Daniel, you think we're ready for lightning round? Yeah, some rapid questions. All right, we're going to close out on some fun stuff. This has all been fun, so don't don't think it's silly. But consider the first thing that comes to your mind. These are kind of just relatable things that make you and I equal all from afar. So, all right, my first one, I'm going to say, what was your first job? Like ever, 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 ever. Mowing lawns. I had a lawn mowing company. It was badass. What was the name of it? Shout out. I don't know. It was probably like, I don't think it had a name. Okay, okay. It's like, I will mow your lawn, probably. (laughs) I love it. What is your favorite book? Oh, favorite book by far. Probably any of Noah Yuval Harari's books. Particularly my favorite of recent 21 Lessons from the 21st Century. Written in 2018 has so much relevance, even with COVID, like crazy. And then Sapiens by him as well. But in terms of recommendation books that like everyone has to read just to be human, a good human on this planet, How to Win Friends and Influence People, number one, Think Grow Rich, and then Good to Great. All good ones. Nice. All right, so you're in a bad mood. What song or artist instantly like changes your vibe? Oh, that's a good... Okay, so... Um... You know, it depends if I want to go into like rage, have a crazy workout, then be happy, or if I want to like just switch to positive right away. Oddly enough, I'm I'm very much like an old old school person, so I rock with Foo Fighters. I rock with, rock with Red Hot Chili Peppers. I I'll even go a little bit older sometimes. Like I've been in a bluesy like Stevie Ray Vaughan vibe recently. So yeah, I mean, I opt I opt for that if I want to feel good. If I want to like turn positive right away, maybe some Eagles. Um, nice. So. Very much old school there. I, I can't do like some heavy rap to get in a better mood. Like, you know, talking about like guns and violence, like, no, not going to help. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What is your favorite brand currently? And I'm going to add it to everyone. What is your favorite protein brand? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> do you know the story, Daniel? Yeah, I think he's got some insider, insider knowledge. Okay. So my favorite brand right now. This is crazy because it changes all the time. I would say... Is this powdered protein? No, it's, <laughs> it's protein bars. So my favorite, 
my favorite protein bar brand slash protein brand is One Brands, which I nice. talked with uh, Mickey Citarella how many weeks ago, whatever. And, you know, their brand manager, really cool conversation, probably two weeks ago. And the next month, I will actually be eating only one brand protein bars for an entire month. That's the only food I'm going to eat along with these uh, wellness shots, which just have like your daily servings of vitamins. So that that's that's my favorite brand probably right now. A, another brand doing really interesting things is probably Native Shoes. Really cool brand. It's like $30 shoes. So I'm all for it. Lightweight. Awesome. And I like competition in like the shoe space. It's actually funny just sidetrack a little bit. Me and Ferg worked together at a company called Snack Nation, and one brand was one of our like people. Yeah. Box, so. I was going to ask you, do you like the birthday cake flavor or what, what's I your love flavor? <laughs> they came out with Blueberry Cobbler. That's my go to. Mm. Nikki is shipping me like a pallet of protein bars for this challenge I'm doing. So I'll let you know the flavor after I've tried every single one at least 10 times. And you're in it for like a full month. I'm sure it might change. Yeah, I, I am not going to cheat. I'm uh, If we got to strap a camera to me for 24 hours every single day, like let's do it. You know? No, no, no. I mean, I'm sure your flavor, your favorite flavor might change after a month. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It will. <laughs> I'll get sick of it. <laughs> All right your go-to influencer? You can do like personal or like professional. Professionally, 100% a manager Hanson on our team, 1.9 million followers on TikTok. She's awesome. Like really smart, just like knows what she's doing. And then personal guy I love, like the funniest influencer. His name's Two Turn Tony on TikTok. The funniest stupid stuff you've ever seen. And just like a guy that drinks a lot and has a lot of fun and the ladies thinks he, he's a good looking dude. You know, I obviously try to ignore that and just focus on the beer, but he's a funny dude, you know? <laughs> so there's my go-to in terms of like comedy and like, like just interesting stuff. I love it. And the last thing I would, would just want to add, where could people find you? Where could people find your company? Anything you want to drop right now? Let them know. Check me personally on LinkedIn, Jake Bajorseth. Just type in Jake and then BJ and then it'll top up because <laughs> no one else has those initials to start their name. And then pretty much trendsetters meet on every social media platform. TikTok, we're about to do a lot of interesting things there. Might do something around what's happening with USPS. Nice. Not, can't disclose right now. Don't want to get a lawsuit for some trademarking stuff, but we'll see. And if we get approved, we will be doing something to support a fair election. And so... You know, not that I, I, I don't lean left or right, but, you know, people should be able to vote. Hell yeah. That's awesome. We are excited to not only watch you continue to flourish in this space, Jake, um, but also trendsetters from TikTok to any other damn thing in the future. You guys are definitely set up for success and we are proud to support you all along the way. So thanks again for taking the time to chat with us and be well. Awesome. Thanks so much. 